This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to the must-listen-to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana, 103, under the dome with CD, excuse me, on 103.7 The Game, and around the whole darn world at 1037thegame.com. That's how we roll here on a Saturday morning. Hopefully, you're getting your weekend kick started off right, and more importantly, it's a wonderful time of the year. Why? Well, for one, Christmas right around the corner. And trust me, we're feeling quite festive today. Trust me. I think you'll love it. And I'm talking about Coach Foe, the Christmas caroling, the Yuletide fan base is going to love it. Because guess what? Coach Foe's bringing back the night before Christmas. And he's also got an important list he's giving out to good old Santa Claus on a Louisiana Saturday morning. I cannot wait. He told me he's... Been spending many top, many hours in the studio getting ready for it because he's got some things on his list that only Santa Claus can take care of. But hopefully you have a great Saturday afternoon. We're live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios presented by Lafayette Roofing from the roof to the roots of Acadia. And these folks have you covered. All you got to do is just call 237-ROOF, 237-7663. But if you want to call us up, or me up, actually, because I'm the only one inside the 237 Roof Studios. The Arco Equipment Hotline, it is wide open, 337-706-0111. Only got two guests today, and trust me, they're your regular suspects, your usual suspects. And, of course, we're talking about Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports, and Ross Jackson, all scenes considered. He'll be coming on at 11. Steve Lassen will be in his same old 1030 spot. Me, on the other hand, I'll be getting out of here at 11.30, making way for the NFL on Westwood One. I can't do that voice. I wish I could. One of these days I'll have that cat on because he has possibly the absolute best voice in all of sports. But when it comes down to it, I want to kind of give you, you all a little bit of a heads up in the next couple weeks because there's, there's going to be some like changes to the schedule. The card's always subject to change. And the schedule's getting some shifting next for the next, for the next couple of weeks at least. I'll give you updates as we go along because I know throughout college basketball season during SEC play, a lot of those LSU games are going to be featured at 11 a.m. Those games are going to be locked in for 11. So some of those weeks I will not be on the air at all. But this week I'm on to 11:30. Next week the show's getting bumped up to nine o'clock till 11. Because we're going to make some room for a special, most ambitious crossover of all time. RP3 and company and Bumper to Bumper Sports taking over the ATL. 
leading you up to the pregame for the Peach Bowl. I cannot wait for that. That's going to be really cool stuff, to say the least. That's coming up next Saturday. So I'll be on from 9 to 11. They'll take over from 11 to 1. And then January the 4th, I mentioned earlier, LSU basketball due to LSU playing Tennessee at 11. I mean, Ray talked about weeks ago. It's going to get confirmed. Is basically we're, we're not going to have a show because it's almost pointless to have an hour long program. Just go to national for that half hour, come back for that LSU game pregame ten thirty tip off eleven. So it just made a lot of sense in in my mind was the best for business. But honestly, I'm just looking forward to this weekend. You got a lot of bowl games going on. Last night you had a pair of bowl games. Only caught one of those because one of those was on while I was here inside the two three seven roof studios doing I believe Jordy and Ben show because kind of overlap between the two. But bowl season began technically yesterday with a pair of fun ball games. First off, the one that started it all, the Makers wanted Bahamas Bowl and Buffalo stomped a mud hole in Charlotte, thirty one to nine. The big highlight was J E double F ha ha J A single R single E single T. Patterson, Jared Patterson strutting his stuff, running for 173 yards and two scores, helping the Bulls get their first bowl win in program history. And then, like, the fun stuff was, like, late last night. If you wound up catching Kent State football last night, it was probably the most fun thing I've seen in a while. Utah State, Kent State facing off. The Fighting Dolph Ziggler's get a 51-41 win and it was a wild fourth quarter, like 25-14, to 14, just in the fourth quarter alone. Kent State started to pull away because it was definitely a back-and-forth, a tug-of-war, if you will, with Utah State going up to 27 points heading into the fourth quarter compared to the Golden Flashes, which is a great name, by the way. A great name. Utah State, Kent State, 51-41. Kent State gets it done. And now we got a lot of other bowl games on tap this weekend. And speaking of on tap, it's time to kind of give you an idea of what's going on this weekend. And trust me, it's a good one right now. The weekend is finally upon us. Oh, hell yeah! Pull up a bar stool and let's get you informed about what's on tap right now. We got a lot on tap to kind of get to, and of course, it's all about college football and the NFL. How can it not be? He's honestly, if this show fell around Christmas time, then I'd say, you know, we had the NBA on Christmas Day, and the Pelicans, ugh, I wonder if they're going to fire Alvin Gentry before Christmas Day. It's just my thought process. It's time to tank. With that being said, you know, a lot of great ball games tonight, and it involves starting things off. With the Celebration Bowl, Alcorn State and North Carolina A&T squaring off in the ATL and Mercedes-Benz Stadium to start it all off. That's going to be kickoff at noon, so they'll be competing with a great NFL game later on today between the Texans and the Buccaneers. This going to be a lot of fun. And then a couple hours later, the New Mexico Bowl gets kick-started. The Central Michigan Chippewas taking on San Diego State, those Aztecs. You don't remember back in the game, the Cajuns beat them in the, the New Orleans Bowl for their first first win in program history in a bowl game. My the game has since been rescinded. A whole story behind that. And then at two thirty, the Cure Bowl, a great tradition. Georgia Southern taking on the Liberty Flames and Hugh Freeze. That's gonna be a lot of fun. I, I'm looking forward to that one because I feel like Georgia Southern 
could pull it off against Liberty, but don't be surprised. I feel like, you know, you look at Hugh Freeze, seems like he's a lot more motivated because, like, now he's got a contract extension. He secured the bag his first year, getting him to a bowl game. So congrats to Hugh Freeze, football guy of the century in my mind, football guy of the decade for everything he had to deal with this season. All the Him being in a hospital bed, a dental's chair, everything in between. Hopefully he's able to live a happy, healthy life. That one's going to be at 2.30 over in Orlando, Florida. It is about a, th- a stone's throw away is the Boca Raton Bowl. <clears throat> FAU without Lane Kiffin. Joey Freshwater making his way over to Oxford, Mississippi. And now it's a battle of FAU-SMU. That should be pretty interesting. That'll be right after the the Celebration Bowl at 3.30. And then you've got Arkansas State, Florida International. That's going to be fun. The Camellia Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama. I know the Red Wolves are looking forward to taking on the Panthers, a former Sun Belt foe. It's all around, it's going to be a fun day for football. And then things to kind of wrap up the nightcap with Las Vegas Bowl, Boise State, 19th ranked, taking on Washington, the Huskies. I think that's probably one of the sneaky good ball games of the night. And the final one, the nightcap, a late night game in the Crescent City. We're talking about the New Orleans Bowl. And that's going to be App State and UAB, 20th ranked. Mountaineers taking on the UAB team who's only had collegiate football back in their program for the first time. It's like their second year in existence since they had like a year off due to reasons. But UAB making themselves relevant. And then, of course, you got some games Monday as well to kind of just keep tabs on. And one in particular, the Gasparilla Bowl. UCF, how the mighty have fallen. You remember when UCF was the national champion? Pepperidge Farm remembers. UCF taking on Marshall in Raymond James Stadium in Tampa by the Bay. That's going to be like a fun mid-afternoon game if you're going to be glued to the tube. If you pulled it off and you have all of Christmas week off, this is the perfect opportunity to just kick back, relax, and enjoy some good old-fashioned football. Meanwhile, the NFL, I, I got to say, I brought it up earlier. We're going to be bumped for NFL football. I don't think there's any place I'd rather be bumped by. And that is a triple header of football in the NFL. This is the perfect time to do it. Last year, the last couple years, I remember them doing like two double headers, like two weeks before Christmas. This year, they're doing it right and going ahead and doing just one and doing a triple header, taking up your entire day filled with football. Be a pro, be a collegiate. You're gonna love it. I guarantee it. If you look at the t- first off, Texans Buccaneers, that's gonna be a lot of fun, a really entertaining ball game to say the least. What's gonna happen? The Texans are fighting for playoff for a playoff spotting and possibly clinching the AFC South, depending on what happens with the Saints-Titans. That should be a fun ball game as well. And then you got the Patriots taking on a team that no one circles the wagons like. We're talking about the Buffalo Bills at 3.30. I'm intrigued by that one. Could the Bills pull off the upset of all upsets? Because it feels like a lot of people are saying that the Patriots are fading. The Patriots are fading. Have you not watched a Patriots game in your, in your life? This team continues to exceed expectations. I think we see the Buffalo Bills circle those wagons and get it done. And wrap it up 
with a Saturday night football game with the Rams and the 49ers, a game I know many Saints fans are going to be watching. It's the Rams' win-or-go-home mentality. And then you've got the 49ers trying to get back into that top seed positioning because I think this is going to be where they're looking at heading into the next couple of weeks. And then Sunday's slate of football is kind of okay for the most part. Like There's some games here and there that are going to be gems. The Tank Bowl 2019, Bengals-Dolphins. Give me that. That's going to be fun just because you know it's going to be a bleep show, so you got to kind of keep an eye on that one. That's going to be a bit of a train wreck. And then you got the Cowboys and the Eagles, the 3 o'clock game. I think everybody's got to look forward to that because that's an NFC East title game. And then you've got... The Packers and the Vikings, another game many Saints fans will be watching with bated breath to see if the Vikes can pull it off. If there's a new man on the Minnesota Vikings, hopefully they can take down the Green Bay Packers and give the Saints a little bit more of an opportunity to close up shop heading into the 2019 playoffs and get that home field advantage. Because, of course, there's a lot of different situations. And we'll talk about that and more with a guy, Ross Jackson, at the top of the next hour. With more than enough time to kind of talk about what's going on in the world of sports. But coming up next, I do it every year. We've done it on the producers in the past. It's time to bring it back. Time to revive the old gimmick. And that is Coach Foe and his night before Christmas. So just sit back, relax, and get into the holiday spirit here on 103.7 The Game. You're listening to under the dome and this is the only game in town 1037 the game so just keep it locked right here the numbers don't lie because when you listen to under the dome with cd your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Hey folks, it's Coach Foe here, and it's time for a Christmas tradition on 1037 The Game. It's time to tell the tale about the night before Christmas. Hey folks, it's Coach Foe here, and it's time for a Christmas tradition on 103.7 The Game. It's time to tell the tale about the night before Christmas. T'was the night before Christmas, when all true to house, not a creature was stirred, not even Mike the Seven. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that the playoff committee would soon be there. The players would nestle all in their pods, while visions of the peach bowl danced in their heads. With Kelly in a kerchief and I in my tiger pajamas, we had just settled in for a long winter's nap. Wait, wait, wait. Was that winter? It's a little warm out here today, boy. It's not, it's not exactly winter right about now. Okay, back to the ball. When out on the Ponderosa, there arose such a clatter, I sprang to the bed to see what was the matter. Now, I usually block out the noise, but this was loud, loud. Okay, now okay, well, back to that pole. Away to the window, I flew like a flash. Door opened up in blinds and threw up the sash. What's a sash? Alright, I'm not gonna stop anymore. The moon shone on Tiger Stadium 
He gave the luster of midday football on CBS. When what to my wondering eyes should appear, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be Joe Burrow. More rapid than war eagles, his courses came. Alright, I'm gonna stop it one more time. Why are you talking about war eagles? The tigers are faster than war eagles. Okay, I'm done. I'm gonna just wrap up the pole. Alright. And he whistled and shouted and called him by name. Now Jamal, now Jefferson, now Moss and Clyde. On Terrace, on Delpit, on Stingley and Fulton. To the top of the carport, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves before the wild hurricane fly. When they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop, the courses they flew with a sleigh full of trophies. And Joe Burrow, too. And then in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney, Burrow came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and all his clothes were tarnished with ashes and that soot. That, that soot nasty. A bundle of trophies was flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes how they twinkled, his dimples how merry, his cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held high is The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a round little belly that shook when he laughed like a ball full of jelly. <sighs> he was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. And a wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And laid his finger aside of his nose, and gave it a nod out the chimney he rose. He sprung to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Merry Christmas to all, and to all, on Louisiana Saturday night. Go Tigers! Thank you, Coach Foe, for another tremendous addition. I might need to teach you a little bit about the editing skills. I, didn't, I didn't, wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of the how it started, but you know I think we worked it out quite well. Hopefully you enjoyed it just as much as we did bringing it to you, the Christmas tradition of Twas the Night Before Christmas, as told by the Coach Foe. I, mean, I absolutely just love the fact that we do that each and every year. Because honestly, who doesn't like having a little bit of fun, especially because Coach Foe is always such a jolly man. He loves him some college football. And also loves him some Christmas. So we appreciate him each and every year. They joins the program. I mean, joins the program every week, seemingly. Keep changing the code, but somehow manages to get back in to the 237 Roof Studios presented by Lafayette Roofing. And honestly, 
glad he was able to join us this week, especially because of the fact we never know what's going to happen whenever Coach Foe hits the airwaves. We know he, we told him we can't cuss no more on the show, so we told him, like, hey, just make sure you're good to go. No Monster Energy drinks before you record because if like, you, you could fr- get frustrated, and maybe we get in a lot of trouble for it. So I told him, just make sure to keep cool. Don't work yourself in the shoot. And I think we'll be good. Hopefully you enjoyed that just as much as we did. And we, meaning myself and Coach Foe, you know, let me give some credit real quick before we hit a quick timeout because I saw this last night as something that kind of has kind of fallen under the radar. Maybe it's because it's women's basketball. But congrats to the Louisiana Raging Cages last night getting their third ever win over an SEC opponent, beating Ole Miss on the road 53-42. to Cage is currently 7-3, and three, and this is their second win over the Rebs all-time, the first since 2015 when they beat them in Oxford. They did it again last night. The 2015 squad, now that I'm thinking about it, was, I, I keep forgetting how good that 2015 Cajuns women's hoops team was. They beat Arkansas as well about a couple weeks later on November 27th, 67-59. So they are definitely a program that's going to wind up turning heads. This is something like me and Ray talked about more off-air when it comes to Coach Gary Broadhead. I think he's got everything under control. He's able, to, he's going to secure his job because of the fact that he got this SEC win. And the team's looking really good right now. Unless they completely just don't look great in a Sunbelt Conference play, I think this is going to be just a whole lot of fun. I can't wait to see what happens with these Louisiana Raging Cajuns women's basketball team because they seem like they're they're on the right track. Seven and three on the year. I think they could very well have control of things in the Sunbelt Conference when it's all said and done. The men's basketball team, on the other hand, not exactly the best look, mind you. A lot of it has to do with Kobe Julian and some other injuries affecting them. It's not it's stuff that's out of their control, but hopefully they can bounce back tonight when they take on Little Rock after that ridiculous 59 combined fouls, 10 combined techs, and they can be back in the driver's seat heading into the new year. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. From the preps. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. To the pros. And everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. And I'm looking forward to talking a little college football with our guy, Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. We gave him the week off large because, hey, we had the Army-Navy game, and that was about it in terms of, like, actual football. We could have talked about the Heisman, but it felt like it was just predetermined from the jump street that our guy, Joey Heisman, would win the whole darn thing. You know what? Now we got some actual bowl games to talk about, and a whole lot more. So let's just get to it right now. The Arco Equipment Hotline and talk with our guy Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. Steve, what's going on, my good brother? Hey, Clint. It's great to talk to you. I appreciate the bye week. I'm well rested. I'm ready for bowl season. We've already had two games. We've got a handful of games and some NFL today. So uh, the remote's going to get a workout this afternoon. The remote is definitely going to get a workout. I mean, Steve, pro tip: make sure you get like. 
three or four more screens for this kind of time of year. You know what I'm saying? Hey, absolutely. You know, I got, you know, two TVs ready to go today. I've got my iPad. I got my computer all ready to go. So, you know, six bowl games, some NFL, three, I think three NFL and six bowl games. So, um, like I said, they're most going to get a workout. But, man, there are some really good games today. So, definitely uh, a multi-screen day, much like any Saturday in college football season. Before we get to the bowl games, let's take a step back and look back at what happened on last Saturday with them, the Heisman Trophy ceremony. And you've watched a lot of them, so I feel like you've probably heard a lot of great speeches. Where does Joe Burrow's Heisman speech rank for you? I think it's right at the top. You know, I, I, I always kind of caution myself and say, don't be prisoner of the moment. You know, take a step back after a couple days and evaluate it. But Joe Burrow, I mean, just kind of a, uh, I mean, just a very, you know, it just, it was just an overall great speech. I mean, the fact that he kind of touched on his, you know, neighborhood in Ohio, and you've seen some of the, the great, you know, gestures that have been made as far as donations this week, and then just what LSU has meant to him. And you see kind of the connection that he and Ed Orgeron have. So I think, you know, you kind of got the sense that it was straight from the heart, a lot of it kind of off the cuff. And I think it just shows just how genuine uh, this moment meant to Joe Burrow. So I thought it was one of the better Heisman speeches that we've seen in some time and certainly very deserving the year that Joe Burrow's had. He was, no doubt about it, the unanimous Heisman winner, and rightfully so. It was a very easy decision for anyone voting on the Heisman Trophy uh, to have him number one. Now, did you vote on the Heisman Trophy? I did not. Um, I, I, I was going to caution. I, I have a small rant on the Heisman Trophy voting that I could get into if if you want me to. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if it's something to do with the fact like four and a half percent of the voting committee didn't put Joe Burrow on the ballot, I mean, I, I'd say just just go off if you need to. Yes, absolutely. So that that is what frustrates me is why why is Joe Burrow not on every ballot? I mean, sure. You could make a case that Chase Young is the best player in college football because of the way he's dominated at certain times. Defensive ends, pass rushers can change the game as well. I get it. You want to vote for him number one, no problem. But Joe Burrow should be on every ballot. If he's not number one, he should have been number two. And and that's, I guess, in, in just a big-picture sense, when you see some of the voting and you see who has votes and you see how many votes there are for the Heisman Trophy, I think the trophy kind of sold the whoever the, is in charge of picking the voting probably needs to be pared down. And you've seen it in previous years where there's been a percentage of voters who are voting before the last weekend of games. And that makes no sense. The, the Sunday after the regular season and the championship game is complete, that's when you should vote for the Heisman Trophy. So I have that would be my complaint is let's figure out who didn't have Joe Burrow on their Heisman vote and let's ask them why, because it makes no sense to me. And also, let's pare down the voting a little bit and try to get maybe a tighter group of voters who are actually watching every, uh, I guess, team in every game during the course of the season. That sounds like one heck of a feature that should be done on Athlon Sports. Am I right, Steve? We should have like a feature, try and find who, the, who that 4.5% was and sit them down and figure out why they did that. Hey, it sounds like a great idea, and it's definitely something that you know I would love to ask someone why Burrow was not on your ballot. I mean, certainly, like we said, Chase Young, if you want to vote for Chase Young, number one, that's I have no disagreement at all. I think Burrow was the best player. I think he deserves it. But to not have Joe Burrow on your top three, I mean, I, I, just, I just don't understand it. You know, you could see in, in a year 
where it was much closer at the top and you had four guys who were in consideration for number one. But just to not have him on the ballot makes no sense at all. I mean, he was clearly the best quarterback in college football this season. It's arguably the most important position on the field. So it doesn't add up to me. So I'm with you. I would love to quiz uh, Heisman voters for not having uh, Joe Burrow on their Heisman ballot. Well, I mean, my my idea is just to put him out on him a radio row during him a, the college football national championship game and just like shame them like in Game of Thrones. That, that's my idea. Just to shame that four and a half percent and just have him walk like in, like in that episode of Game of Thrones. You know, hey, I'm all for it. I mean, you know, transparency in the voting is always a good thing, and I've seen fewer ballots this year than I did in previous years. Now, maybe that was because some of the other years, like last season, Kyler Murray versus Tua, it was close. You wanted to know who voted for who. In this case, maybe people just didn't post their ballot because it was kind of assumed that Joe Burrow was was number one and was, was going to win it. But, you know, I think someone also kind of pointed out to me that, well, maybe someone was just voting for three players because they knew Joe Burrow was going to win. They were voting for those players because it was to give him some recognition. I, I still don't get that. I mean, if you're in this case, you're voting for the best player in college football. Just because you know Joe Burrow is going to win it doesn't mean that you, should, you know, that you could vote for three players as kind of a throwaway ballot just to get their name uh, on the printout of, of players who got votes. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So I, I'm all in for shaming. Like I said, I'd love to sit a couple of them down and ask them, and I'd be all for your idea as well. Talking right now with Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports, and let's kind of flip it on over to some of the bowl games that have already happened. I think the one that I kind of was able to catch was that Kent State Utah State game caught it late. Thank God I did because that was probably the most entertaining fourth quarter I've seen all year between the Golden Flashes and the Aggies of Utah State. It really was. You know, this just kind of goes to show you that there is never a bad bowl game because you can find fun matchups like this throughout the bowl season. Utah State and Kent State, you know, combined for over 90 points yesterday. Fun back and forth game. I think just to kind of zoom out on Kent State for a second, one of the most improved teams over the last two years. And if you're looking for a rising star at coach, Sean Lewis uh, for Kent State might be a guy that next season we talk about for some openings. And, and just, you know, kind of interestingly, the MAC was considered the worst group of five league this year. They're off to a 2 0 start, and both of those teams that won was the first bowl victory in their program history. So, great start to the bowl season for the MAC, and especially uh, that Kent State Utah State game last night was fun. And, uh, like I said, never a bad bowl game, especially because come March, we'll be really wishing for another Frisco Bowl. Exactly. We'll be wishing for another. Which, by the way, let me just say this. I completely forgot about the fact that the Frisco Bowl is now sponsored by Tropical Smoothie Cafe. It may be one of the best worst sponsorship names I've heard in a while, seeing that kind of combination of Frisco, Texas, and you've got um, uh, the Tropical Smoothie Cafe. Hey, I don't know if you saw this, but at the end of the game last night, Sean Lewis, the coach for Kent State, uh, didn't get the Gatorade bath. It looked like to me it was a smoothie bath. It oh my! Like it was their, That's a mistake. Yeah, green smoothie. <laughs> yeah. The green smoothie. They got him uh, right before they did the interview on uh, I think the ESPN three. So um, I would say most coaches would probably prefer the Gatorade or the water bath over a smoothie bath. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to say a smoothie bath just sounds like a bad idea. Like 
you can imagine like you know the the Powerade you'll get like just real sticky, but I don't know if like like 20 even 30 minutes after let's say during like the press conference he still got like bits of smoothie in his hair in his hat on his shirt it's just not a good look it, it, it's like the nickelodeon uh <laughs> show forgive me yes. which one you know you got you know the green slime comes on you that that's what it looked like to me you know it is it is interesting this is the old miami beach bowl so you know we, we've kind of seen this bowl game morph over the last couple of years uh so I, you know, I don't. I don't. I'm looking at the bowl schedule today. I don't think we'll see any green uh, smoothies or slime dumped on any coaches, but uh, there should be some fun ones. Yeah, I don't think there's any games scheduled inside Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. So I think we're more than okay <laughs> with that. But Steve, you know, let's just look at like you got. You brought it up earlier. There's six bowl games going on today. Which one intrigues you the most? And I'll give you mine in a little bit. But I want to get your idea. Which one intrigues you the most? I'm really looking forward to the Las Vegas Bowl. It's Chris Peterson's last game at Washington against his former team in Boise State, so it's really kind of an appropriate way for him to close out his tenure at Washington. You know, two great defenses in this game, too, both Washington and Boise State, holding teams to about 20 points a game. Interested to see Jacob Eason for Washington. He's had an up-and-down season still some thought that he might declare for the NFL draft. So this was his last opportunity to make a showing um, this season. So I think that's the best matchup of the day. I will say um, SMU and FAU kind of has, you know, 45-40 potential with the kind of offensive firepower in this game. So if you're looking for a fun matchup, um, that might be the, the most entertaining game of the day. You're just wondering what's going to happen with FAU now that you're without Joey Freshwater. He's now in Oxford, Mississippi, aren't you? Yeah, this that that's this is one of the X factors of the coaching seat of the bowl season is how do teams navigate the coaching transition, not having their head coach. Um, FAU also has some suspensions today as well, so they're a little bit shorthanded across the board. You know, this goes for Memphis, too, in the Cotton Bowl. They won't have Mike Norvell. So, you know, I think just kind of also, you know, today, Appalachian State against UAB. Uh, Sean Clark, the new coach for Appalachian State, was promoted to full-time. So, you know, that interim coach coaching transition um, is always the wild card of bowl season, and, and I think it, it worries me a little bit for FAU because Kiffin was so involved with offensive play calling that if, if there is a, a blowout factor in this game, it could be because of the coaching transition. But I'm agreeing with you. I think the Las Vegas Bowl has a lot of intrigue. Boise State, Washington, what happens there? That, I think that's going to be a fun ball game all the way around, but the one that definitely has my attention I think without a doubt it's the game going on about two hours away from where I'm at, and that is the New Orleans Bowl, App State, UAB, UAB in their second year back after taking some time off from being a football program. And then taking on App State, who just seems to be the monster. Can App State get it done once again and really improve their stock heading into the end of the year polls? And probably I'd say they could crack maybe like a 17 or 18 spot if it, when all when all is said and done. Absolutely, yeah. Appalachian State is one of the biggest favorites of the bowl season. You know, I think it's been around 15 or 16 points, and you you can see why. UAB is very good on defense, but they've been a little bit limited offensively due to some injuries at quarterback and running back, and they were really outmatched in the Conference USA Championship game 
against FAU. I think we've seen the Mountaineers, even though last year they had an interim coach, they took care of business and beat MTSU. This time with things a little bit more settled with Sean Clark uh, moving into the full-time role, I think they'll, they'll, they'll handle their business today just fine. I just think UAB's too limited in Appalachian State this season, too dominant um, really on both sides of the ball, and I'm with you. I think they finish in that 15 to 20 range pending what happens in other bowl games. And Steve, one more for you because we've seen a lot of coaching changes over the last couple of weeks with things after the end of the regular season wrapped up. We saw a lot of coaching hires not long after we wrapped up here. Which one has been the which one has the most biggest chance to have like a huge impact on the twenty twenty season? You know, I really like Mike Norvell at Florida State. I think we saw at Memphis he was very good at maximizing talent, offensive kind of guru. And I think Florida State, even though they haven't been very good the last couple of years, there's still some playmakers in place. And I think he could make an impact in year one, just getting Florida State to be a 7-5 and five kind of type of team. Certainly a long way to go um, back to where they were. I-, I think that hire is going to work out great right away. I think the interesting thing to me is the SEC, because I think Lane Kiffin could have an impact in year one at Ole Miss. There's a lot of young talent at Ole Miss with Plumlee and Ely coming back in that backfield after good freshman season. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Ole Miss picked ahead of Mississippi State next year and maybe in that fifth spot and get to a bowl game next year. I think Kiffin and Norvell are probably two of the better hires so far. Steve, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week, and we'll definitely be talking a lot about the college football playoff semifinal. Hey, Clint, it sounds great. Have a great Christmas, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Merry Christmas to you as well, amigo. Take it easy. And that was Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Athlon Steven. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, wrap up hour number one with some interesting news that kind of just popped up last night as I was kind of getting some notes together for the show. And that involves SEC on CBS. Give you an idea of what's coming up with that in just a little bit. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat. On Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. And that song... You might not be hearing for much longer if the rumors are to be true. This is coming from Sports Business Daily. Some reports coming out that CBS will walk away from their SEC contract after the 2023 football season when their contract expires. I think that means that the Ford Auto Network and ABC will be looking to take over that and aggressively making a bid for $300 million a season, a massive increase for the $55 million it currently pays annually, and the CBS Sports execs decided that it made more sense to invest the money they would have paid the SEC into other sports, which is interesting. Again, 
just in terms of what CBS wants to do going forward with college football and their idea with that, that's going to be something to kind of keep an eye on because there's a lot of things going on there. Multiple sources are saying that they're in the final stage of negotiating a deal that is expected to pay more than a $55 million per year fee that CBS currently has. According to Fox Sports execs, they're still planning on making an official bid presentation at the SEC headquarters in Birmingham next month, but it seems like the four-letter network is firmly in control as opposed to Fox Sports, which feels like a weird pivot when you really think about it and how Fox Sports wants to present themselves while the four-letter network, I feel like they will be embedded with the SEC, and I would love to see them shift more with an SEC vibe on ABC or the big four-letter network. I think that'd be the way to go because I know that Fox Sports is more of a Big Ten slant. That's the way they are, and I think it works for them extremely well. On the other hand, I wouldn't be surprised if we see this thing keep going and we keep seeing a a great debate about what happens in the not-too-distant future in terms of how CBS is going to do things. Could CBS be going towards one of these other group of five programs? Which group of five programs, where are they going to go? What's going to happen with some of these other program, these other like big power fives? Because the ACC is already kind of in bed with the, with the four-letter network. Could the ACC deal lapse and maybe CBS snatches them up? Does the Pac-12 go that route? Which way do they go? Or do they abandon college football altogether? All i got to say is, I think many fans here on Acadia Sports Station are more than excited about the fact you don't have Gary Danielson and everybody's favorite Alabama Hawk on the air calling SEC football games. At least we hope. At least we hope. Brad Nessler, Gary Danielson. See ya. Wouldn't want to be again. SEC on CBS could be done in 2023. That's just wild to think about because I think, you know, because I remember just all the time used to watch the SEC on CBS back before I was in sports radio and actually spent a lot of time watching a lot other college football games everywhere in between because I'm a college football addict now. I, I, I just have to watch a bunch of ball games. Even when I'm in a stadium, I'm basically finding a stream and watching a like game that's interesting to me, or a game that's at least like got some intrigue and could be on up, upset alert. Like we saw Georgia Southern Minnesota, we could see one of those games. If that game's interesting, I'm flipping it over immediately to go enjoy that. Hopefully, you're about the same way as I am. Because I'm just looking forward to what's going to be happening in the not too distant future with these college football rights. It's going to quickly become probably a lot like what it is right now in the NFL. It, because the NFL rights are just through the roof, catastrophic. You wind up seeing people just throwing out all kinds of ducats. And this could wind up being interesting to see what happens with college football. Could it all be controlled by the four-letter network and in, in Fox Sports? We'll see. We can go ahead and take a quick time. I'll be back with more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. 
Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! Time to take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037. The game, hour two of two. It's a half hour of Under the Dome getting you ready for some NFL football action thanks to the good folks over at Westwood One. But right now, we got to flip it on over to some Saints football before we get to the other games on the NFL schedule. And do that, we go to the Arco Equipment Hotline, talk with a guy, Ross Jackson, all Saints considered, in the Locked On Saints podcast. What's going on, Migo? Hey, brother. Always glad to be here, man. Thank you so much. Ready for a big weekend here. All right, Ross. I'm going to start things off by going back to the Monday Night Football game. Was that phantom pass interference call made just to keep people tuned in for the second half? <laughs> you think maybe if they would have gotten the record at that point, people would have just turned it off and kind of moved on. Uh, yeah, yeah, man, that was, um, I, I would love to say that it was even that, but uh, I think it was just yet another terrible call that doesn't bounce the Saints way, but, you know, it's all right. It ends up, you know, I would have loved for Trey Quan Smith to get the record on that touchdown as he got the, as he got the yardage record as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's fine. It's fine. I'm so frustrated with officiating. <laughs> I think everyone really is this year. Yeah, there's not a doubt in my mind. Everybody's just extremely frustrated with the officiating this year. Sean Payton's – I'm surprised Sean Payton isn't, like, bald yet from pulling his hair out on some of those questionable calls. I think last week may, should have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you saw him after the uh, the game where he, he referred to it as a clear and obvious call, uh, quote-unquote, and it, it was just a ridiculous call. And I'm glad that, you know, I mean, the worst-case scenario in that moment is that that penalty gets called, you end up kicking a field goal, and then Drew Brees doesn't have a chance in the second half to throw a touchdown for that record. You know, um, But to do it in that moment, to do it to Drew Brees, and to do it in the Superdome was just kind of the most quintessential um, uh, kind of moment that you probably could ask for. If you were going to ask for a bad moment there, that's probably the, the, the mightiest one that you could pick out of the pack. It was just perfect to see how everything worked out for the Saints. And Drew Brees talked about it, the fact that this was probably the most complete game of the season. you agree with that assessment? I would. I would agree that this one was a really complete game for them. I will say, though, that the Saints defense was aided by horrible quarterback play for most of this game. You saw Jacoby Brissett overthrowing wide-open receivers, underthrowing. He had a lot of trouble throughout this game, particularly at the beginning. And I think that that sort of aided the momentum throughout. Uh, but, you know, I mean, even still, when, when Jacoby Brissett did get a little bit more settled, he was a little bit more in command of the passing game at that point, and the Saints defense still held up well to that. They only allowed 44 rushing yards on this game. They kept Marlon Mack to one point, I believe it was 1.9, 1.7 yards per carry. It was 11 carries for 19 yards. And so you saw the run defense still be able to stand up against a very, very good and very, uh, probably one of the best offensive lines in the NFL 
in Indianapolis. And so it was good to see them do that. So I will say that they were aided a little bit early, but as the Indianapolis offense and passing game started to get a little bit more comfortable, the Saints started to lock down a lot more. And so we got to see that. We saw them almost pitch a shutout in this game until they ended up putting reserves in at the back half. Exactly. It was just crazy to see what was going on with the Saints this past Monday. Talking right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, in the Locked On Saints podcast, but not as crazy as what happened Sunday afternoon between the Falcons and 49ers, the final two seconds of that ball game, probably one of the worst beats of all time. But man, just a great kind of final moments of that ball game where the Falcons already took the lead and then they scored on a touchdown off of the kickoff. That was just ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. And and that win actually goes a long way in helping the Saints if the Seattle Seahawks beat the 49ers in Week 17 or potentially the 49ers drop their game today uh, to the uh, Los Angeles Rams who'll be visiting in Santa Clara. And so that win actually ended up aiding the Saints a little bit, depending upon how these next couple of weeks shake out. But uh, it was a great sort of ending to that game to see how everything went for, uh, for Atlanta and taking down uh, San Francisco. For once, everything worked out, and we rooted for the Falcons, and things actually went the right way. I think that's, just, <laughs> that, that's the moral of the story. We had, to, we had to cheer on the Atlanta Falcons to pull that off. But honestly, it was just a fun ending to that game all the way around. I think that was the most disappointing part of my Sunday, Ross, was the fact I had to wind up like finding another way of watching that Falcons 49ers finish because of the fact that they were still airing the Cowboys ball game. I was like, come on, just flip over to something else. This is a boring game. Yeah. Yeah, I know the well, I, I think I do know exactly what the infatuation is. Uh, with the Cowboys, but I, I don't know why you lock into a game like that when you have something that's actually going back and forth and entertaining um, as, as a separate option. It makes you wonder if the if Fox cares at all what they're going to play. It's just every week it's Cowboys, Cowboys, Cowboys. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Saints-Titans, have you seen the broadcast map for that? That is absolutely ridiculous how many people yeah. are going to be able to watch that Saints-Titans game. It's got a lot of playoff implications but it feels weird to see that many people be able to watch like a midday Saints game in Week 16. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it's uh, yeah. I don't know. I think that this is a game that is uh, really important to uh, to both of these teams and both of the the regions that root for these teams. But uh, you know, it's I, I'd much rather be able to sit down and watch this. <laughs> Exactly. Talking right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints considered in the Locked On Saints podcast. Like, what are you most looking forward to in this ball game from the Saints? First of their last two games on the road, absolutely huge to try and win out against a Tennessee Titans team that seems like Ryan Tannehill may have like found the the, the Michael secret stuff, and it looks like he's just on another level. And then you got the Panthers Week Seventeen. What do you say? about what's going on with this Tennessee Titans team and how much of a challenge will they be? Yeah, I, I, first of all, I, I have to acknowledge the Space Jam reference because I love a good Space Jam reference. Of course. But uh, when it comes to this game for New Orleans, I mean, I think you, you mentioned it. You said you know, that these two games are on the road. You, know, you see a lot of conversation right now about the Saints absolutely being in need of the home field advantage uh, throughout the playoffs. But we've also seen this team go 5-1 and one so far this year on the road. 7-1 and one last year on the road. And so this test right here for the Saints, who are going to be playing two meaningful games at the end of the season, Week 16 and Week 17, it doesn't matter. These are games that they need to win. You're going to see them play those two games on the road. 
can they continue to have success on the road so that they feel comfortable going into the playoffs if they should need to travel to Santa Clara, let's say, for the uh, for the national championship game, or if they are sh- I'm sorry for the NFC championship game, or if they should have to travel at any other for- at any other point in the postseason. But it, it's it's a good road test for them to be able to go out and do this. And so that's one thing that I'm looking forward to. The other thing I'm looking forward to in this game in particular is that you're talking about you know Derrick Henry, who's been averaging something wild, like 135 yards on the ground over his last few games, which is just absolutely ridiculous and he he rushed for under 100 last week because he was dealing with a hamstring injury that hamstring injury either did bother him throughout practice this week or they were just trying to keep him rest so that they could keep him as fresh as possible on it but that's the other thing i'm looking forward to in this game is how does the run defense continue to respond without marcus davenport and sheldon rankin they did well last week against marlon mack who's not the greatest running back in the league but is also you know nobody to shake a stick at either he's a very good running back now, what can they do against a guy and a battering ram like uh, like Derrick Henry and a very run-focused team like Tennessee? Talker now, Ross Jackson, All Saints considered the Locked On Saints podcast. And one of the big things that happened during before Monday Night Football was the Saints signed Janoris Jenkins. And we know how the Saints have that culture. They've, they've changed the locker room culture a lot over the last few years when you think about guys like Junior Gallette and his antics and a whole bunch of other players like Brandon Brown or those antics. We're seeing a lot more clean-cut guys. We see guys like Demario Davis, Cam Jordan, just overall great guys. And then you kind of have like a guy like Janoris Jenkins. Could he throw a wrench in that locker room culture? And like, why did to me? It's like why did the Saints go after a guy like that? I think that if a player like Janoris Jenkins was going to come in and throw a wrench into the locker room culture, that the Saints would just as soon move on from that player as they did sign him. If that makes sense. Um, we saw this last year too. The Saints looking at the la- at, you know toward the latter half of the season and the late portions of the season to find a way to improve their team. They signed Des Bryant. Des Bryant, of course, carried a reputation as somebody that can be a locker room disruption and that can be a problem in the locker room. But they went ahead and rolled the dice on him. Now, of course, that didn't work out. We never got to see that come to fruition. But I look at this this claiming of Janoris Jenkins off of the waiver wire as essentially the same kind of idea. Now, remember that in New York. Um, well, first of all, let me say this. You can't convince me, and no, nobody can convince me, generally you, uh, that the Saints have a worse locker room atmosphere than the New York Giants. Uh, no one can convince me of that. And so I think that this is one of those locker rooms that, rather than being disrupted by a new presence, is going to influence a new presence. We saw that happen with Eli Apple, who everybody mentioned had. You know, he was called locker room cancer by his former teammate Landon Collins. You know, Eli Apple and Janoris Jenkins played together in New York, and they were the guys that were trying to hold the defense together and were always the two that you mentioned, you know, in any article or any story as the two guys that were trying to bounce back and trying to make everything work uh, for the New York Giants defense. And so getting those two personalities back together, I think, is actually a plus for New Orleans. And I think that any personality issues that might arise from Janoris Jenkins will quickly be taken care of with the type of culture that guys like Sean Payton in the front office and Gail Benson have created, but also guys within the locker room like other defensive leaders, Demario Davis, Von Bell, and Cameron Jordan, to name a few. And you know, like I'm just, just, I was very much surprised by that, but I like the way you analyze it. I think I'm looking forward to see what he does going forward. But you're talking, about, you talked about Des Bryant. Let me just give a quick shout out to our morning show producer, Louis Prejean. I'm, I, we're still convinced he was the one that jinxed. Um, Des Bryant because he was recording a podcast and threw up the X and then like then like by the end of the podcast he tore his Achilles 
and now here we are, Des Bryant nowhere to be found in, uh, in on any NFL team. It's weird. Uh, thanks for nothing. <laughs> yeah, Lewis. Hopefully, hopefully he's listening because I've been giving him a little bit of a hard time on that. Oh man, no, I would love that. Yeah, no, that's 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 unfortunate. But that was an unfortunate thing for New Orleans altogether, is uh, you know trying to bring in a guy to really help that wide receiver core. Now you've seen toward the end of the season this year, uh, guys like Traquan Smith, Josh Hill, Jared Cook, all sort of finding their groove and finding their rhythm. Even Ted Ginn Jr. was catching passes last week. And so all of that has sort of helped them feel a little bit more comfortable on the offensive side so they can focus on defense. And you've seen that. Not only did they bring in uh, Junior Shankins, but they brought in Noah Spence, they brought in DJ Swearinger, and they put in a waiver claim for Terrell Suggs. But unfortunately, Kansas City Chiefs got in before them or have a, have a worse record, so therefore got in before them. And so you see this thing trying to improve their defense going here into the playoffs. Last one for you, Ross, and I think it all has to do with one number, and that is number nine. Obviously, you got the Saints, Drew Brees securing the all-time passing touchdown record. Now, if he's going to hold that onto it, we'll see. But my question to you is, should the state of Louisiana as a whole, every team, high school, college, pro, just retire number nine? What a gesture that would be between <laughs> between uh, Drew Brees and, and and of course now Joe Burrow, your second ever LSU uh, Heisman Trophy winner. Um, what a gesture that would be if the entire state and every team retired number nine, or at least every every uh, football team. That would be something that I would look forward to seeing if something in that fashion would happen uh, at the after Drew Brees retires. But I'll tell you what, if I'm you know, uh, the, an AD for you know a high school team or for a district or for a college, I would certainly consider it just as a means of, if, if, even if it was just for my own school, just as a means of showing respect to somebody like Drew Brees and even in a way to Joe Burrow as well, two guys that have come in and really ignited fan bases here in South Louisiana. I mean, Joe Burrow's pro career hasn't even started yet, and they're make, they're naming a stadium after him. So I think why not right. why not show him some love here in Louisiana? They're showing him plenty over in Ohio. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you get the chance, I, I would absolutely go for that. And, you know, we'll see where it is. He might end up back in Ohio drafted by Cincinnati, of course, but, you know, you still, you still have to, you still can't underestimate the contribution that he's made here in Louisiana as well. And he shouts out Louisiana and represents Louisiana just as much as he does for Ohio. And so, you know, we appreciate that, of course. I just hope Joe Burrow pulls an Eli Manning and just says, Hey, I'm going, I want to go, I don't want to go back to Ohio to play for a crappy team. I want to go play for a halfway decent team. So trade me over to this halfway decent team. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to see him actually get somewhere to where he's not a part of a rebuild, you know, and maybe can even, even if it means sitting a year and then stepping into a system that already works for him or something like that. But I have the feeling that with Joe Burrow's personality and especially with his ties to Ohio, but if he ends up being drafted to Cincinnati, that he's going to go there with the intent of being the guy. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's just a part of who he is and a part of what his drive is. Uh, but I would love to see him end up in a place that's going to benefit him as much as he will benefit the team that he ends up with. Rawls, thanks so much for coming on, my man. I'll talk to you next week. Absolutely, brother. Talk to you next week. Have a good one. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays, brother. That was Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, Locked on Saints Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. Went a little bit long, but I'm looking forward to wrapping up the show in a nice little bow. And, of course, Coach Foe's Christmas list is coming to you in just a little bit. Keep it locked right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Hey, this is RP3. Wake up every week. 
The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Few Manchester United supporters. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Dear Santa, how things have been for you, T-Boy? I appreciate you giving us that gift last year playing against UCF. What a ball game. And it showed the world what Joe Burrow's made of. <laughs> As you may have noticed, I've been a great head coach this year. Here's what I want for Christmas this year from you, Santa. A bunch of five-star recruits. We gotta keep beating Bama if we want to stay relevant. A new hamstring just for Kyle edwards just in time for the semifinal against Oklahoma. A bunch of them Bose headphones. I've been told they block out the noise. A little bit of the bubbly. Alex Bregman told me you can't celebrate without it. A big pot of gumbo for when we come back from Atlanta with that win. And most importantly, a national title for the state of Louisiana. Appreciate it, Santa, and go Tigers! Sincerely, Ed Fogero. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game. Appreciate the Coach Foe's Christmas list. Thankfully, we don't have him singing. We, we tried to do that, but we, we wound up having the computer crash on us when we were trying to make him uh, the Alvin and the Chipmunks version of the Christmas song with him, uh, Coach Foe. But the, the, like, trying to turn hit, like make the pitch like higher, it just did not work out at all. We learned our lesson. No more Christmas carols, Coach Foe. No more Christmas carols. But trust me, we'll be having them back on next week without a doubt. From 9 to 11, the show is going to be the final show of the year. We're not doing year reviews. We're not the Jim Rome show. Besides, the show's only been around for from May to December, so it's like seven months in a review. We won't do that because guess what? We got the college football playoff semifinal to talk about and a whole lot more. And we'll get an idea of what's going to happen next week's with next week's show. And then January the 4th, taking it off because, well, we'll be kind of bumped for LSU basketball. Honestly, I'm just looking forward to getting to that one last take, the penultimate take of 2019 and the penultimate take for me of this decade. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. And my final take of the week is without a doubt about what I talked about with Ross Jackson, the number nine. Think about how important number nine has been, not just for the Saints, but for LSU and for the state of Louisiana. Number nine brought the Saints to unforeseen heights, an NFC title game in the first year. Within four years, Drew Brees got the Saints to a Super Bowl. We're near the 10-year anniversary, maybe a second Super Bowl, just before he hangs it up. We're looking forward to that. What is going to happen there? I'm excited because of the fact that the Saints had every chance to do so. But you look on the other side of things, you got Joe Burrow, the man that is the Heisman Trophy winner, undisputed champion 
out of all the singular awards, it's the most important. But Joe Burrow has brought LSU on the precipice of somewhere they haven't been since 2012, winning a national title. Since 2012, they haven't been to a national title game. Old antiquated offense. I talked about it a lot when I filled in for Ben a lot on Monday, but there's no doubt in my mind that that man, number nine, Joe Burrow out of LSU, is probably the most beloved man has become a folk hero for the Tigers. And a sign of things to come, we shall see. But that's why I'm saying it right here, right now. The state of Louisiana, high school, college pro, number nine, should be retired forevermore. For one reason and one reason only. Because of the fact that it is the best number in the history of sports in Louisiana, I think it, it should all be honored because of the fact that Joe Burrow and Drew Brees helped make Louisiana sports, in terms of football, a lot more relevant. And I think we have every chance to see two goats come out of Louisiana, or in the case of Joe Burrow, out of out of Louisiana by way of Athens, Ohio. But I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday. NFL football on Westwood One, starting off with the Houston-Tampa Bay game. And we'll be back with more after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Take it easy. Be back with you next week, 9 to 11 on a Saturday, leading up to an ambitious crossover event unlike any other, and that is... RP3 and Company in B2BS. Keep it locked right here on 1037 The Game. Hey, Clavis! Wake up! Oh, yeah. Kick it. The 49ers. Elsewhere around the league, Cowboys quarterback hasn't been able to practice all week, but he is currently not on the Cowboys' final injury report, so he's going to start and play against the Eagles, the winner of that game likely, your NFC 